Welcome to the latest word from the church at Severn Run. Our church is located in Severn, Maryland, and is easily accessible from anywhere in the D.C. Baltimore area. You can subscribe for regular updates or check in weekly for the latest information by using our website, severinrun.com. Thank you for visiting. And now, today's message. Well, good morning, Severn Run. Just want to say, guys, thank you so much for, uh, for making the choice uh, to get up, get out, and to gather together um, as, the, as the, the people on a journey. Um, now, let me ask you guys, how many of you all are cooks? Let me, cooks and cooks. Those are different. Thank you, Lanny. I will not ask you to raise your hand to identify as a kook. Uh, <laughs> bad pastor if I do. So uh, thinking cook and baking, kind of lumping those together, although I realize they're different, but how many of you love to cook or bake things? Okay, that's, that's a pretty good, how many of you all, um, y- you know, the microwave is your best friend? <laughs> y'all, okay, fair, fair number of you. Um, I can remember when I was little um, that we were in the grocery store and, and my mom was looking at a box very similar to this one. And, um, and she said, you know what, I, I may just bake it from scratch. And I looked at her and I said, you can actually do that? <laughs> she looked so hurt, <laughs> you know, so hurt. Um, but, but really, cooking and baking are, are really pretty specific. I realize there's free, you know, kind of some ranges of things, but there's some pretty specific things you have to do. And really, it can be pretty complicated to make it right and to make it good. And sometimes if you don't know what you're doing, um, you can end up with some pretty bad results. Have you all had really lumpy pancakes? Pancakes especially. I mean, there's a real art to getting a nice brown pancake and to have the right bubbles and the right texture where it doesn't taste like tire rubber, you know, and things. And so, so what happens is, is that, that these professionals, they take complex processes and they reduce them down to something a little bit more simple so that um, all that you have to do is just add water. <laughs> now, it's really not as simple as making pancakes to go to the pan and put it on and just pour water into the pan. It's a little more complicated than that, but we have to kind of reduce it down a little bit. The muffin mix is, is, is another order for, for us non-bakers and non-cooking people because now you have to add egg and water. And we've reduced the complexity of the whole um, you know, and now you have to break an egg without getting shell in it. So this is for the, the modern American who's daring. Um, now, how many of you all, uh, you know, with the, the, the Uncle Ben's? Why, that's very, very difficult because you actually have to figure out how high to turn up the heat to boil water. And they've reduced cooking rice, getting rice right, you know, is not easy. I mean, it's, it can be like a baseball 
Auric. I mean, rice can be messy when it's done, but, but we've reduced the complexity here of just, just getting water to boil and having a rough sense of time. You dump it in and, and, and you've, you've got it. How many of you all have lived on ramen noodles at some economic point in your life? Okay. I think there's like 19 days worth of daily salt in, in them. So you eat one, you're good for almost a month in your salt intake. But, but there's a whole meal, including vegetables. People say, I don't eat vegetables. But there are little dehydrated peas in ramen. And so, so you, 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 you take these complicated things and you reduce them and, and, and you make it easy. All you have to do is just add water, just boil, just break an egg. It is, it is simple. Sometimes it's really good to, to break things down. And sometimes when you make things that reductionist, when you reduce things beyond their complexity, Instead of making them better, you've made them infinitely worse. In Matthew 13, 15, uh, 53 through 58, Scripture says, When Jesus had finished these parables, all the parables that we've just been through, he moved on from there. How did Jesus change so many lives? Well, he was on the road. Jesus was intentional about meeting people. And if we as a church want to be effective in, in helping people find life and the love of God, then we need to kind of do what Jesus did and be in, intentional uh, about going out of our way to encounter people and, and reveal the kingdom. When Jesus finished the parables, he moved on from there. He valued people and he went after them. And coming to his hometown, he began to teach the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. I want you just to use uh, a holy imagination uh, and, and to sit there and to be able to hear Jesus. And instead of dead religion, that was kind of the message of you're not good enough and I'm better than you. And uh, I mean like dry and dusty and lifeless and life-sucking, instead of all that, here is the breath of God in your presence. And they sat there, and they were amazed at every word that Jesus spoke. And, evidently, Jesus did, um, you know, they had seen the miracles that he had done with their own eyes. They had seen life changed in ways that are impossible. And that's what a miracle is. It's when the impossible is revealed to be actual, to be, to, to be possible. Where did this man get all this wisdom and, and these miraculous powers? Okay, so, so we're, we're going someplace with this. So they were amazed at his teaching, and they saw his miraculous power, uh, powers, and they asked, um, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this... Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Any of y'all ever been identified by your, your brothers or your sisters? Sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes it's not such a good thing, you know? Aren't all his sisters with us? We've got Joseph, Simon, and Judas, his sisters. Where did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. 
But Jesus said to them, only in his hometown and his own house is a prophet without honor. And he didn't do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Today, I want to talk to you about the movement of belittling Jesus. Belittle is, is a word that, you know, really means what it says, to make little, to make small. And, and although sometimes it's good to reduce the complexity of something to a manageable level, the reality is that, that when we do this with God, nothing good happens, nothing edible happens. What happens is, is actual disaster. You see, there will always be an energy in us that downplays Jesus. You need to understand that, okay? Inside of you, there will always be a a force, an energy, a downward gravitational pull that will, that will seek to downplay, make small, belittle Jesus. How in the world do we get from, and they were amazed at his teaching and the miracles to, and they took offense. Oh my gosh. What, what is this movement? Where was the logic? What was the, what was the sequential thinking? What was the you know, what was the, 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 the logic of each of the premises that led to this conclusion, you know? He's, he's teaching amazing things from God, and, and we're seeing miraculous things that have never happened since the creation of the world. How dare he? Who does this guy think he is? Hey, you know, the, how does he think he's better than us? We know his mom, and we certainly know his sisters, and his dad, Joseph, doesn't even get his name mentioned. And, and, and there's this, all this belittling. This is just Jesus. This is just the carpenter's son. This isn't anybody big, anybody, anybody huge. This is just Jesus. Guys, the name of Jesus is the energy of God. And there's something supernatural about the name of Jesus. Now, when I talk about the name, I'm not talking in any kind of a, a formulaic, magical way. You know, some people, um, they speak the name of Jesus like it was some sort of a charm or an incantation. In the Old Testament, when a name was referenced, it stood for the full character and, and representation of that person. Esau, uh, his name meant uh, he grasps, and he grasped that his brother's healed. And the rest of his life, that's what he did. Uh, Isaac, his name is Yitzhak. It means he laughs. And, and here he is born to a probably nine-year-old woman. And, and if you're not crying, laughter is the best response to that event, right? <laughs> and so in the Old Testament, um, people's names represented kind of who they are. So when we're talking about somebody's names, we're talking about that person. When I say Marsha's name, I'm immediately thinking about all that she is and all that she means to me and, and, and her life. And so, so understand that, that the name of Jesus is the energy of God. And it will always be an offense to a self-worshipping world. All the energy of hell is at work to belittle and erase the name of Jesus as the key to life. Now... Jesus is the most profaned name on earth, right? Um, I have, I've even heard uh, Muslims take the name of Jesus in vain, you know? So this is a cross-cultural reality phenomenon. I've heard people on, I guess, three continents take the name of Jesus in vain. Why does nobody say, O oh, Buddha? Seriously, why 
why does, does nobody, um, you, know, you know, cuss the Krishna? It just doesn't work like that. There's something about the name of Jesus. Why is it that we can talk about God and that people will talk about God, but when you bring it around to the name of Jesus, something profound changes in the conversation. I mean, it, it just does, and you know it does. There's even something inside of us that, that the name of Jesus, it's like, yeah, that's kind of scary, that's kind of threatening, it's kind of strange, it's kind of unknown. And, and so as we struggle with this reality, and I want you to think about it, I just want you to know that supernaturally there is, there is a reason for that. Gravity is a force unseen yet real. There is a supernatural force at work in the world that is seeking to belittle or make small the name of Jesus in your life. You know, just as you can't let gravity do its work every day, because if, if you let gravity, how, how many of you all, when you wake up in the morning, I mean, you bound out of bed, you know, um, singing a chipper Disney song, and outside your windows, the birds are just circling happy. How many of you all are just like, you just bound out of bed? Josh Sharrow, you? I, I believe that Josh would do that. Anybody else? A couple of you all. You all are amazing. In the Gwen, I, I believe that. I, I do. The rest of us have the force of the universe to overcome in pulling off those warm covers, you know? And uh, I actually heard a, a, a you know, a, a man who was worth well over $100 million said, the hardest thing I do all day is get out of bed. You have to overcome gravity to even start your day. And to live a great life, you're going to have to overcome the gravity, the, the, the resistance, the hesitation to let Jesus' name have its rightful place in your life. If you give in to gravity, your life will be, um, will be a, a, a broken life. It will be a life that utterly misses God. And so, um, as people curse the name of Jesus, as they, as they uh, belittle the name of Jesus, hell is, is eagerly encouraging that, and, and it's, just, it's just the movement. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, the God of this age, so we've got competition going on here. We have the, the God who created the universe, big G, and then we have the God of the rebellion. We have the God of the insurgency. We have the, the God who's the terrorist and, and who is in opposition to all the good of God. And the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You know, it, it's funny. Uh, we have these conventions about, about war and how we can kill each other. And some things are off limits. We decided after World War I that gas was off limits. Um, in the 70s and, and, and 80s, uh, we decided that, that lasers on the battlefield to blind people were going to be off limits, that we weren't going to do that, you know. But our enemy, the devil, has decided that's... That's a convention he's not going to honor. And he is working to blind, um, blind us on earth to the, the glory of Jesus, to the, the bigness, the power, the, the, the meaning of Jesus' uh, life and death and resurrection. So isn't this the carpenter's son? This is just Jesus. Isn't his mother's name Mary? Uh, I understand who this man is because I know that his mom is, is Mary. 
I understand that his brothers are James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. And I understand this guy because his sisters are still here in, in our own hometown. So where did this guy get all these things? What a dumb question. What difference does it make where he got them? Is he going to get wisdom of God from hell? I mean, seriously, this is so illogical. And they're not even denying that it's wise. That's what's crazy about this response. That's what's so uh, demonic and spiritually twisted about it. They're not even denying that he spoke about God in true ways. They're not even bothered to denying the power of the miracles. He didn't do anything. They're not saying that. He did great things. But where did this come from? Well, let's think this through. Is hell going to glorify God? No. Well, there's only one other source. So, but it's just Jesus. And they gave in to the belittling work of the gravity of hell to, to obscure, to minimize, to humanize utterly to the extent that there is no deity in Jesus, to reduce the threat of, of Jesus' life to their own living. Jesus is profoundly offensive, and he is a threat to a self-guided life. And the reality is, for us to stay big and in control of life, we have to make Jesus small and irrelevant. It's just, we have to do that. And, and it's kind of like that, that in our encounter, um, that, that, uh, that like, so here, here's life. This is the point, like, we're living, and then we encounter Jesus. And, and at the point that we encounter Jesus, um, there's something that's going to happen inside of us. We're going to go one of two directions. Now, the natural direction is for us to begin to minimize and to make the, the life, the name, the meaning, the significance of Jesus um, not a threat any longer, irrelevant, small, uh, not a, a part of authentic, real life. And we can do this religiously, you know, we can deal with this, uh, and this is where a lot of religion is. So I'll learn about a lot of stuff, but it's not going to really change how I live. It's not going to produce too, uh, true obedience in my life. I, I'll learn some stuff, but, but it's not going to really change uh, my sexual ethics. It's not going to change the honesty of my tax returns. It's not going to change, um, you know, doing the right thing at business. Um, you know, there's Jesus, and then there's my life, and... And it's nice to learn about him, but they're not really connected. The other way that we're going to respond to Jesus is, is, is they're both supernatural, right? This, this is guided by the God of this age who, who uses battlefield lasers to blind us so that we cannot see the truth that's standing right in front of us. And when we run into Jesus, the, the other supernatural guided by the Holy Spirit response is that for the rest of our lives, the name, the significance, the meaning, the love, the value, the wonder, the mystery, please do not ever reduce Jesus to um, an, uh, a being that you fully understand. You don't. And you never will. That's why you'll never be bored in heaven because for the rest of universe, uh, the rest of, of our time in, in, you know, beyond time, it's going to be just discovery. It's just going to be wonder. It's just going to be life alive. And so, so this is the movement. This is the direction that we're going to go with the name of Jesus. 
And there's always going to be an energy that works for you to, to downplay Jesus. To this day in my life, as I encounter other broken people, um, the hardest thing in the world for me to do is to speak the name of Jesus first. And it's like there's this, this pressure in my life to just don't do that. Don't speak the name. Don't go there. And, and once I get out the name of Jesus, I'm ready to charge hell with a water pistol. But I'm, I'm ashamed to say there's been a number of times to where it's been like, nah, no, not, not now. Not, not now. My cousin, when uh, he, he's not a believer, I'm still working on trying to, uh, to lead him to, to Christ. Um, my cousin, when, when I was just becoming a believer uh, in shop, made me, uh, this was the 70s, so okay. We had bell bottoms too made me a leather bracelet that said Jesus. And he gave it to me and he asked me, and he said, are you going to wear that to school? And I'm going, oh my gosh. <laughs> wear it to school, I, I play football, and it says Jesus on it. How can I do that? And I can remember wearing that to school, like, I mean, like so self-conscious, so embarrassed by the name of Jesus. And part of me is going, that's crazy. You claim to believe in this guy, and, and yet you're embarrassed by him. Well, there will always be a power in your life that's going to lead you to that. If you give in to that, that's your choice. That's my choice. But there will also always be a movement guided by the Holy Spirit of God that, that leads us in a, a completely different direction, um, you know, that, uh, that is the supernatural work of, of heaven. So, so here they are. I want you to picture this. Here's Jesus standing right in front of them. And and they're just saying, this is just Jesus. He's just a human being. He's, he's, he's small. He's, he's insignificant. He's just, he's somebody that we know. He's somebody that we understand. He can't be anymore. And, and I, wa I want you to understand that, that it's possible to miss God standing right in, in front of him. I, I am fascinated, uh, you know, and I, I know so, so little. I won't embarrass Dave by calling him out here. He works for NASA and he's like brilliant, um, and um, he understands stuff, uh, space stuff, you know. Um, the sun is one thing that just absolutely astonishes me. Like, like, like how can the thing keep burning and, and not burn up? Like, and it goes for a long, 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 long time, right? I mean, and it's, and it's putting off just enough heat to make the earth a habitable zone. How does that happen? Um, so, so, so here is, here is all of these, these people who've, who've belittled Jesus standing in the presence of this. Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. So here I am with my 3.2 pounds of brain matter standing in front of the, the creator of the universe who among the many marvels that he has mastered and understands and willed into being is the sun, nuclear fusion. 
Now let me just explain to you about the sun. We won't talk about all the layers of the sun. Let me just read to you some, some uh, basic facts about, let's, let's start with the core. The core of the sun is the region that extends from the center to about 25, 20 to 25% of the solar radius. It's here at the core where energy is produced by hydrogen atoms being converted into molecules of helium. That's possible thanks to the extreme pressures and temperature which exist, which are estimated to be the equivalent of 250 billion atmospheres or 15.7 million Kelvin, respectively. Now, the net result of the fusion of four protons, hydrogen molecules, into one alpha particle, two protons and two neutrons, bound together into a particle that is identical to helium nucleus, two positrons are released from this process, as well as two neutrinos, which change two of the protons into neutrons and into energy. Who thunked all that up? <laughs> Jesus. And standing in the presence, looking into the eyes of the Creator, we are perfectly able to belittle and downplay and completely miss the relevance and the obvious authority and, and possibility of what's standing right in front of our faces. Staring creation in the face, self-centered reason can see nothing bigger than itself because self-centered reason is threatened by God. You see, only one person can occupy the throne of your life. Only a circle can only have one center. And when the creator of the universe comes to your life and says, you are not the rightful center of your existence, I am. You have to make a choice to either yield and let him in or, or find reasons in your own little head to shut him out and retain your your right to rule your own life, your right to decide your own destiny, your right to be your own little G, God. You see, the bigger your Jesus, the greater your life. And a small Jesus equals a small life. And the Word of God says, and Jesus could do few miracles there because of their lack of faith. There were, there were people that were deeply wounded inside who could have had life and joy and hope for the first time in their lives. Everything could have been different for them and for their children and their children's children. But no, they, 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 they just had too small of a Jesus. They wouldn't let Jesus be who Jesus was. They had to belittle. They had to make small. They had to, to de-threat, to make up a word, uh, Jesus. And they walked away with a life that was infinitely smaller than it, than it would have been. C.S. Lewis alludes to the fact that, you know, he wonders if hell isn't going to be something that after the judgment doesn't shrink to the size of a pinhead and then shrink forevermore after that. Because having rejected the bigness of God, there's nothing but small left. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him was able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Life is hard in a broken world. And it's going to continue to be hard. But it can be awesomely good. 
you're not in heaven yet. This is not, this is not your home. And so if you're wondering why things are hard and why things aren't uh, you know, perfect yet, because you're not home. You're on a journey. And a part of the journey is through the heat of the desert. A part of the journey is through uh, you know, the, the, the misery of a wet, soggy rain. Part of the journey is, is you know, through the darkness of night. And, and, and yet the morning is going to come when we arrive at home. And, and we're not there yet. But along the way, God has given us Jesus. And he's given us Jesus to, to make a choice about. We can, we can uh, let our lives be, you know, kind of swallowed up by the glory of God's love, the security of his passion, the bigness of Jesus, a Jesus to whom nothing is impossible. Or we can live by our own wit and reasons and, and just make Jesus ridiculously small and irrelevant and profane his name. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to let Jesus, the name of Jesus, be the real energy of your life. And I'm not talking about, again, in some formulaic way, you know, and I'm not talking about being odd for God. I'm not talking about being weirdly religious or, or uh, you know, do what I want to do and then I'm going to, you know, just use the name of Jesus. No, 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 no. I, I'm, I'm, the name of Jesus represents all that Jesus is and all that God is. He is the exact representation of an infinite God. And to let the name of Jesus be the real energy of your life means that, that, that you turn to Jesus that you acknowledge how big he is, that he is bigger than, and then you fill in the blank with what is a threat to you in this moment. Where is your pain? Guys, the affairs that you're having uh, to answer your pain uh, are, are only going to bring more pain. You're, you can't fill empty with empty. And there's Jesus that God has sent into your life to be, to be bigger than your pain, to be bigger than, than the empty, to be bigger than the shame. To, there's Jesus that God has sent into your life to, to heal the woundedness of your past, the, the sexual abuse that you endured, the, the abandonment, the loneliness that gnaws at your soul. God has sent the presence of his son into your life and he is bigger than. But if you and I insist on reducing him, to our own understanding, then, then we're going to be cooperating with the work of hell. And we're going to live our sad little small lives angry, wounded, searching, and breaking other people's lives all because we stood in the presence of Jesus Christ and said, aren't you just a fraud? Aren't you just a wish? Aren't you just a dream? Aren't you just an idea that somebody religiously made up that can't be true. Acts 2.21 says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Guys, get out of your, you know, your, your limited Sunday school mentality and, and, and acknowledge the complexity and the depth of life and understand that this verse is not just about the beginning of life, it's about all of life. There are times when I feel so alone, I just need saving. There are times when, when I feel so broken that, that I just like, there is no hope. What do I do in those moments? I, I call on the name of a huge and almighty Jesus whose love is bigger than my stupidity. 
whose love is bigger than my brokenness, whose power is so great that, that he can take ashes and make them into something absolutely new and absolutely beautiful. He is so big. And so, so calling on the name of the Lord is not just for the beginning of faith, it's, it's the way to the end, and it's all the way to the end. And, and to, to let the name of Jesus be the real energy of your life means that your pain, uh, although it will probably be there until the, the beginning of the next life, your pain is not the energy of your life. Your insecurity is not the energy of your life. Your fear about the future uh, is not the energy of your life. Your self-hatred is not the energy of your life. Your self-love is not the energy of your life. It's Jesus. That's the energy of, of your life. It's that God loves you. He's passionate about you. And that this love is infinite and big and unstoppable and for you. Luke 9, 26 says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. When Jesus hung naked on the cross, he probably did not have that little loincloth that we put on there to make him acceptable. You know, they're not going to leave a shred of dignity to the most uh, cruel way to murder somebody ever invented. Crucifixion was finally set upon by the Assyrians because every other form of execution was simply too slow and the person didn't suffer long enough. And there is Jesus naked on the cross, not ashamed for you. And yet you and I are embarrassed to speak the name of Jesus at work. You and I are embarrassed to call on the name of Jesus in our marriage. You and I stand in the presence of a God who could change everything in our lives, and we say, we, we downsize Jesus. We belittle him and, and say, you know what? He's just not big enough to, to handle my child's problems. So I want to I give you three stops. I don't often do this, but I'm going to give you three stop-its, you know? Number one, stop being embarrassed by the name of Jesus. If you're a believer, make up your mind. It's going to be a journey, but stop being embarrassed by the name of Jesus. Secondly, stop making the name of Jesus smaller than the fears of your life. Okay? I'm just telling you, whatever the fears of your life, Jesus is infinitely bigger than, and then however big he is in, the, in that new understanding you have, he's infinitely bigger than that, and then however big that understanding of Jesus is, he's infinitely bigger than that. Our God is big. Third, stop letting earthbound reason be the compass of your life. The truth is, some things are, are a mystery. And I'm not telling you to turn off your mind. I'm saying put your mind in overdrive and let your mind take you to the place of humility in the presence of an infinite God whose mind and way that we do not understand, but we're just simply in awe of. And here's the truth. The closer you and I grow to God, the more we will speak the name of Jesus to ourselves and to others. Part of the reason that some of you are living lives that are small and getting smaller, stuck, and, and the cement is drying, is because you won't call on the name of Jesus for yourself. You won't speak the name of Jesus to your fears. I'm just telling you, there is power in the name of Jesus. And, and you and I need to learn to, to develop this, this habit that's the keystone of our life to speak the name of Jesus to our fears, to our stuck, to, to everything that is of hell inside of us. And it is amazing what happens when we speak the name of Jesus uh, boldly, even to ourselves. 
And then we speak the name of Jesus to others, not, not in a way, again, that's odd for God or look at me, but in a way that is, it is to use an old-fashioned word, winsome. To use, it, is a, it is attractive. It is powerful. And most of all, it's just true. And the farther we are from God, the farther the name of Jesus is from our lips and from our living. All the work of heaven is to bring Jesus' name to the forefront of every moment of life. That's the upward pull of the Holy Spirit and all the forces and the power of heaven is to bring the name of Jesus, the being of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, the joy, the hope, the anticipation of Jesus to the forefront of life every moment. That's what heaven is doing. Hell is working hard in the other direction and you and I choose which one wins. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every other knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the boss. He is the author of life to the glory of God the Father. Revelation 5, 11 through 13 says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon th thousands times ten thousand. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice they sang. I imagine this heaven song. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Even in heaven, the enlargement of the name of Jesus, the, the glory of the love of God is, is ever increasing, ever expanding. Not, not just a universe expanding, but, but the name of, of God's love expanding forever and ever and ever. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And that can be our reality in the name of Jesus. Or we can come to church and walk away and sing, it's just nothing. The choice is ours. The choice is yours. What are you going to do with the name of Jesus in the pain of your life? Father God, you've given us a name. Help us now to choose consciously and intentionally, intentionally whether we are going to let the name of Jesus be growing upward in our lives or whether we're going to own the truth of our choice to suppress, to belittle, to mock and make small the name of Jesus. God, I pray all over this congregation, all of this, this place that, that, that you will wrap your loving arms around hearts and minds and, and Father, that you will bring the name of Jesus home and that everyone here who will call on the name of Jesus will live a big and glorious life until they are finally home with you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. And all God's people say, Thank you for joining us today at the church at Severn Run. Please visit our website at severnrun.com for church service information, staff directories, or for prayer requests. And if you're in the D.C. Baltimore area, we'd love to have you join us at 8187 Telegraph Road in Severn, Maryland. We look forward to worshiping with you.